0: Thank you for this wonderful night that you have given us. Lord, the fact that we can turn on the A.C. and cool off a little bit and sing these wonderful hymns and think about heaven and the glories that are there. We ask that you would do your work in our hearts. And Lord, we just pray that you would work in our midst that we may see you glorified. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. He didn't just concoct it out of his own head. I want to challenge you that there's a whole lot of things that were taught about God that are not recorded in the Bible that you and I have no way of knowing. I mean, we get one little sermon of Enoch. One little part of one message. But Enoch, was a prophet. Noah was a preacher of righteousness. And one thing about preachers is they take time to say what they say. Amen? I mean, that's just part of what preaching is about, is expounding upon the words of God. And Job, which we believe, is probably the first written book of the Bible, or I mean, the story is as old as any, uh, excepting uh, creation and some of the early accounts in the book of Genesis. Job was probably in those first 11, 12 chapters of the book of Genesis. Before Abraham came along, before any of these things that we know about today, uh, we believe that that's probably the simplest place where Job. Uh, would fit in historically, and yet he believed and exclaimed his faith in a physical, bodily resurrection. So when we have people coming down to the time of Jesus as the Sadducees who didn't believe in any of this, what was their excuse? Well, it was very simple. They didn't read their Bibles. In Isaiah, look at this verse here. Thy dead men shall live, together with my dead body shall they arise. Now, that's just one little quote out of the book of Isaiah. But the prophet is saying, listen, the dead of Israel, Isaiah was prophesying God's judgment upon Israel. He says, your dead are going to live. He said, but my dead body is going to live with them. Now, that's talking about a physical Bodily resurrection. There are other places that we can go, but these are two of the simplest. And you know, when God says something once, that ought to be good enough. We can just go through our concordance and find two places where it's recommended. Uh, I don't think you need to argue about this whole thing, but just a couple of ideas here. Turn with me to Luke chapter 20. And this is a story we know well. The Sadducees are trying to confound Jesus. This is the week that he was going to be crucified. And so they come to him with a story. They said there are these seven brothers. And the first one got married and didn't have any children. And so his next brother, who was a true believer in all the scriptures took his brother's wife to raise up seed to his name so that the family wouldn't be blotted out. And then he died and there was no children. And so by the time the story is ended, we have seven brothers married to the same woman and no children. Now you talk about ridiculous. But that's what the Sadducees were. And then their question is, uh, I believe it's verse uh, 33 of Luke chapter 20. It says, Therefore in the resurrection, whose wife of them is she? For the seven had her to wife. Now, most people don't go to this passage, but when you get married... You marry a person, not a spirit. Amen? Uh, Does not this story demand a physical bodily resurrection in the mind of the storyteller for it to make sense? Now, I want to inform you that the Sadducees did not believe in a bodily resurrection. So where in the world would they get this idea that they were making fun of in this story to entrap Jesus... If it was just fantasy land, they knew what Jesus would do to them. He'd tear them to shreds. They thought that Jesus was one of those stupid Pharisees that believed in all this stuff. And so they were proposing to Jesus one of the tenets that the Pharisees believed and taught. That was confusing enough to them. They thought they would confuse Jesus with it. Are we still together? I mean, you got to think about this. This doesn't. This isn't just written in the verse that they believed in a bodily resurrection, but this idea was prevalent and understood by anyone who was willing to look into the scriptures before Jesus taught one word about the resurrection. And here's what Jesus said, and we need to take a moment here. And verse 35, verse 34. And Jesus answering said unto them, The children of this world marry and are given in marriage, but they which shall be accounted worthy to obtain that world and the resurrection from the dead, neither marry nor are given in marriage, neither can they die any more. For they are equal unto the angels, and are the children of God, being the children of the resurrection. Now that the dead are raised, even Moses showed at the bush, when he calleth the Lord, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. For he is not a God of the dead, but of the living. For all live unto him. Now Jesus is teaching. But... Jesus is enforcing the idea of that bodily resurrection that was presented in a spurious and sarcastic and entrapping way. Let me tell you something. This is kind of like what we, uh, we've often heard, how many of you heard in 1492 when Columbus sailed the ocean blue that everybody thought the world was flat and Columbus would sail off the edge? I mean, how many of you have heard that? That's not true. That's just simply not true. I, I am sure there were a few real imbeciles out there that believed you could sail off the edge of the world but they just didn't know what you were sailing into because most of the people that went out never came back. That's why Columbus was famous. He came back. Uh, the, The simple truth of the matter is we hear all of these things and people love to attribute ignorance to people who lived before them. How many of you... Uh, heard during the American Revolution that uh, 90% of the American people were illiterate and nobody could read. I mean, that's what they say. And I've often challenged people, if you really want to check out the illiteracy rate of of revolutionary America, uh, get a copy of Common Sense and read it written by Thomas Paine. I'll guarantee you, you will not comprehend what he said in that book the first time you read it. And yet, these ignorant and illiterate uh, rabble of pioneers and things read this book and understood it enough to defeat the greatest nation on the face of the earth at that time, which was Great Britain. Uh, I challenge you, read a copy of the Federalist Papers, who were written as arguments for people who were voting on the acceptation of our present Constitution in the 1790s. Let me tell you something. Unless you have a degree in political science, you have to get a good dictionary and read them over and a good history book just to comprehend what's there. What I'm saying is not everybody who's not a part of our generation was illiterate and barefoot and couldn't understand how to add 2 plus 2. And there were people who believed the scriptures. They did not understand everything we understand today. How many of them understood that Jesus had to suffer and die on the cross? The scripture records one before the event. And that was Mary who anointed him for his coming death. No one else got it. In fact, even after he was crucified, they didn't understand the resurrection until he came and showed himself. On It took Thomas till the second Sunday of his resurrection to get it straight. Martha, when Jesus asked her about her brother rising again, says, I know that he shall rise again in the resurrection at the last day. And so many people want to take Martha's statement and try to make it into a statement of a general resurrection where everybody is raised from the dead. At one time, the good go to one side and the bad go to the other. This is where, uh, if you've ever seen my street sermon on the golden scale, this is where it comes from, is the misconception of what the resurrections really are. Number one, the resurrection means a bodily resurrection. You are given a glorified body To house your glorified soul, and you are one with the Spirit of God, and man is restored to the image of God as he was created in the Garden of Eden before sin. All together? Okay. This teaching and this doctrine is not found in any other religion except one that comes from the Bible. That's one of the things that makes our belief in God unique. And many people who call themselves Christians refuse to believe in a bodily, physical resurrection, and they, they just believe that our spirit will continue with God forever and ever. Let me tell you, they're missing The entire theme of the Bible is that God created man in his image for fellowship, for worship. And man marred that image through his sin. And the rest of the Bible is about what it took for God to send his son into this earth and redeem man. And finally, at the resurrection, restore him to the point where he can have that intimate, daily, constant fellowship and worship of the God of heaven. Now, if that doesn't get your attention off of the cares and wares of this world, you're backslidden to a point that you need some serious spiritual help. And that ought to be one of the warning flags that goes off in our hearts. Heaven is about the worship of God. Now, worship isn't a rock band and a bunch of people jumping around on a stage. Worship is lifting up the name and the person of God. How do I elevate what other people think about God? It's not what I do, because what I do falls short. Amen? It's what God does in me that brings glory to his name. You see, when I surrender and am obedient to God's word, it changes me. That is the first part of worship. But you see, God doesn't just want his name lifted up for the sake of lifting it up. He wants it lifted up so other people will see his goodness. You see, if we could understand most of what we would call soul winning or our evangelistic efforts would truly be public worship of God. Because we're sharing his goodness and his grace with the world in which we live. It it would really change our attitude. I've met some guys over the years. Well, let's go out and win a few. You don't win people to Jesus like that. And I've been with them and and they'll, they'll go, just pray this prayer. If you Why wouldn't you pray this prayer? I said, whoa, wait a minute. It's not a Buddhist mantra. It's not something you repeat until you hope it happens. It's a declaration of truth. The Lord. Now, how many times have we broken his lordship this week? You know what? Christians sin too. I remember one person in particular came to me and said, Pastor, I don't understand. I sinned before I was saved. And now that I'm saved, I still sin. And I gave him my classic answer, Welcome to the human race. The Bible does not say... Getting saved is the absence of sin. But our response to sin ought to be very different. You see, when a sinner sins, he is doing or she is doing what they naturally do. So what are you going to do? Well, if you feel bad enough about it, you'll say, God, I'll, I'll try to make that up to you somehow. You won't use those words, but that's exactly what you'll try to do. I'll go to church Sunday. I really messed up this week. I'll go to church. Or I'll try to help two little old ladies across the street for every time I say a bad word. Well, good luck. I hope she beat you with a cane, all right? That's not going to help you. When a Christian sins we go to the forgiver of sin, the hope of the resurrection, and we confess our sin, and we go back to serving Him. That's the hope of the resurrection. I, in my physical body, will stand in the presence of God and be able to worship And praise Him. And the best thing about heaven is this old flesh will never give in again. Because it's going to be, we will be one with Christ. Now, I want you to turn with me to the book of Revelation and I'm going to try to cover. This is the background For our subject tonight, the resurrection, I should say the resurrections, Revelation chapter 20, this is the battle of Armageddon is over, Revelation chapter 19, Verse 1, And I saw an angel come down from heaven, having the key of the bottomless pit and a great chain in his hand, and he laid hold on the dragon, that old serpent, which is the devil and Satan, and bound him a thousand years. I wonder what the significance of that is. Well, read on. And cast him into the bottomless pit and shut him up and set a seal upon him that he should deceive the nations no more. "...till the thousand years should be fulfilled, and after that he must be loosed a little season. And I saw thrones, and they that sat upon them, and judgment was given unto them. And I saw the souls of them that were beheaded for the witness of Jesus and for the word of God, and which had not worshipped the beast, neither his image, neither had received his mark upon their foreheads or in their hands. And they lived... And reigned with Christ a thousand years. But the rest of the dead lived not again until the thousand years were finished. This is the first resurrection. Blessed and holy is he that hath part in the first resurrection. On such the second death hath no power. But they shall be priests of God and of Christ. And shall reign with him a thousand years. Now, it's interesting how many people have maligned and tried to say that this passage does not talk about a literal thousand-year kingdom here on earth. Uh, I don't know how you can miss that, except you've been to college and were trained and you learned to be, uh, shall we say, dumb. Uh, That kind of ignorance is not natural. It is taught. It is acquired. And uh, this is talking about a physical kingdom that Christ is going to reign. But it says before that kingdom starts, the first resurrection is going to be completed. Now, as we go through here, whom is included in this first resurrection? We have The slain of the tribulation are definitely included. They're mentioned specifically as a group. It says that there are thrones and them that sat upon them and judgment was given to them. That doesn't mean that they were judged. That means authority to judge was given to them. They were kings with Christ. We go back to Revelation chapter 1 and it says... Thou hast made us kings and priests unto our God. Revelation chapter 4, as that group there is praising around the throne, they reiterate that truth of being made kings and priests unto God. Now, this passage includes definitely those that died during the tribulation, refused the mark of the beast, and and worshipped Christ. But it includes every person that is written in the Lamb's book of life, because only those people who are not stand at the second death or the second resurrection. So now we've got to go back. Who would this include? Well, it would definitely include Job, who said, in my flesh, I shall see God. Uh, Old Testament saints would definitely be included there. Um, How could we escape not including the church, that the bride of Christ, that Christ gave his life for? And by the way, this includes... Jesus Christ, First Corinthians fifteen twenty three, and let's just turn there for a moment, if we can, quickly. First Corinthians fifteen twenty three. It says, "But every man, in his own order." Well, let's let's go back to verse. Uh, I'm sorry, verse uh, twenty. But now is Christ risen from the dead and become the firstfruits of them that slept. For since by man came death, by man came also the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, even so in Christ shall all be made alive. But every man in his own order, Christ the firstfruits, afterward they that are Christ at his coming. And it goes on. It says, then cometh the end, so it's talking about there's going to be a time period here because there are many people who try to teach that this first resurrection all happens at one time. That's not possible because Christ is the first fruits and that was almost 2,000 years ago. And so, when we talk about the timing of this resurrection, Christ being the first fruits, approximately 33 A.D., depending on whose calendar you use, that's when the first resurrection began. And here's a passage that most people skip over. It talks about in Matthew 27 that the veil in the temple was rent. It says, and the graves were opened, and many of the saints arose and showed themselves to the people who were living in Jerusalem. Now, one of the questions that I can't wait to find out the answer to is, where did they go after that? Well, I think the Bible answers that question. It says, he led captivity captive. These had been held, uh, the old word is holden, I tried to use that, and under the power of death. Jesus conquered death on the cross. He led captivity captive. Now, I'm not going to be dogmatic on this because the, the Bible is not dogmatic. But... One of the great questions of all people studying the end time truths as they're in the Bible said, when did the Old Testament saints resurrect? Uh, Some say they resurrect with the church at the rapture. Other people say they resurrect with the tribulation saints uh, at the uh, end of the tribulation period in Armageddon, just before the uh, kingdom begins and, and all of those things. But I got a question for you. He uses the word many. Daniel uses the word many when he refers to the resurrection that many shall awake unto life and many unto death. Now, I I believe that the Old Testament saints would have been resurrected at the resurrection of Jesus Christ. That's the simplest thing, and and I'm not going to be dogmatic. As I said, the Bible doesn't say that, but that seems to be the best time that that fits in. But there are some special promises that Christ made to his church. John chapter 14 I go to prepare a place for you, and if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am, there ye may be also. Acts chapter 1. In like manner as ye have seen him go, you're going to see him come again. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. It says, The dead in Christ shall rise first. Now, we understand that those that believed in God through faith were saved. They're called saints in the New Testament, talking about Old Testament saints. But did they believe in the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Christ? Were they saved by the gospel? They were saved by faith. There is not multiple ways of salvation in the scripture. But God did not reveal everything at one time. Noah, by faith, did what? Built an ark. That's how he exhibited his faith. Why? Because God's word said, build an ark. I just caught a little blip of some news article, some nutcase built Noah's ark. I think it was in Sweden or something. And uh, he rebuilt Noah's Ark, claims it's according to the specifications. um, More power to you, but it isn't going to help you. That's not how you display faith today. Just like you could rebuild the temple in Jerusalem if that were possible and ordain the Levites to offer the sacrifices, but that would not get you to heaven because Jesus fulfilled those sacrifices. Revelation chapter 3 verse 10, he told the Philadelphia church, he said, I'm going to keep you from the hour of tribulation. It's going to come upon all the world to try all men. Now, we've got to figure out when this part of the second resurrection, of the first resurrection, happens for the church. The simplest and most consistent understanding with Scripture that before the tribulation begins, Jesus comes back and removes his church. Because we have how many elders around the throne in heaven in Revelation chapter 4? Twenty and four. Where in the world did we get that number from? Twelve tribes of Israel. Twelve apostles of the Lamb. Old Testament saints. New Testament saints. That would seem. Because when we get to Revelation chapter 6, the tribulation saints are saying, how long before you judge, us, uh, judge the world for our death and our murder? And he says, you're going to have to rest a little while till the rest of your brethren are added to your number. You see, the resurrection of the tribulation saints, if they're going to be resurrected as a group, which the Bible speaks of, can't happen until they're all there, which would be at the end of the tribulation period. And so we have the Old Testament saints... We have the church, New Testament saints, we have the tribulation saints, and they're referred to as separate groups in different places in the scriptures. Jesus is the first fruits. It says each man in his order. All of those people who will make it to eternal life, are included in the first resurrection. It began with Jesus Christ and will end with the tribulation saints at the beginning of the millennial kingdom, just before the kingdom begins, because they will rule and reign with Christ. We have just a few minutes and if you have a Bible like mine, you just need to turn the page from Revelation chapter 20 to. We've got to get to verse 10 and the, the rest of the chapter here. After the kingdom, the devil's going to be loosed, he's going to gather the people that are alive on earth in rebellion against God. There's going to be a horrific battle. Fire is going to come down out of heaven. Now, I know he uses the term here, um, Gog and Magog, and some people like to make this the battle of Ezekiel. But if they're burned up with fire, are the fowls of the air going to eat like the book of Ezekiel says? No, the book of Ezekiel is talking about a different battle. God's going to use hailstones and earthquakes, and, and he's only going to destroy five-sixths of the army in Ezekiel. Here he's going to destroy everything with one fell swoop. Not talking about the same thing. There's too many differences. And so we get here to verse 10, And the devil that deceived them was cast into the lake of fire in Brimstone, where the beast and the false prophet are. Present tense. They've been there a thousand years, yet they are there, present tense. Hell is eternal, just like heaven is eternal. And I saw a great white throne and him that sat on it, from whose face the earth and the heaven fled away, and there was found no place for them. And I saw the dead, small and great, stand before God, and the books were opened, and another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged out of those things which were written in the books according to their works. You want to work your way to heaven? Here's where you're going to end up. You want to do enough to please God? This is where you're going to be. Because no amount of works will allow you to escape the judgment of Almighty God. It's got to be the blood of the Lamb. Amen. And the sea gave up the dead which were in it, and death and hell delivered up dead which were in them, and they were judged, every man according to his works, and death and hell. Remember, they were two of the riders. They rode the same horse. Were cast into the lake of fire. This is the second death. And whosoever was not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. The second resurrection, actually, the Bible calls it the second death because it is being brought back, reunited with your body, but put into hell forever, actually the lake of fire. And if you want to cross-reference on this, John the Baptist was teaching about Jesus. Remember remember this from Matthew chapter 3. He said he's going to baptize you with the Holy Ghost and with fire. First resurrection, Holy Ghost. Second resurrection, the only place in all of God's word where you can be baptized with fire. The lake of fire. Just like baptism of the Holy Spirit means immersed into or put into the Holy Spirit, the baptism of fire will be put into the lake of fire. Salvation is eternal. The lake of fire is eternal. You ever hear some preacher talking about getting both? You better watch out because you can't have the baptism of the Holy Spirit and fire. One is salvation, the other is damnation. Both are eternal in scope, and Jesus is the baptizer. He is the one that gives you salvation. He is the one that meets out eternal damnation. He's the one sitting upon the throne, the great white throne judgment. And we come over here to... Uh, Genesis, I mean, Revelation chapter 21. And let's just look at uh, verse 7. He that overcometh shall inherit all things. Um, Let's go back one verse, I'm sorry. And he said unto me, it is done. I am Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end. This is Jesus speaking. I will give unto him that is a thirst of the fountain of the water of life freely. He that overcometh shall inherit all things, and I will be his God, and he shall be my son. But the fearful and unbelieving and the abominable and the murderers and whoremongers and sorcerers and idolaters and all liars shall have their part in the lake which burneth with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. Now, what we have here in chapter 21 is the final summary of those that are in the first resurrection and those that partake of the second death or the final resurrection. The resurrection to life, the resurrection to death. And this begins what we call the eternal state. Now, let me ask you a question. It says, and all liars. How many of you have ever told a lie? Okay, what this is talking about is people who choose untruth as a way of life. They never stop and confess their sin to God as sin and recognize it. You know, the thing about these politicians is they pass a lie detector test telling lies because they believe their lie is the truth. That's who this book is talking about. It's not talking about someone who has committed one act of infidelity. It's talking about someone whose life is characterized and desired and about committing acts of immorality. And by the way, Jesus set the bar pretty high. He said, if you look and you think in your heart, you're guilty. How do you fight against that? By confessing our sins on a daily and sometimes minute-by-minute basis. The fearful and unbelieving These are the people that talk about Christ but never believe him to the saving of their souls. They're always afraid he's going to take it away somehow. That they're they're going to do something that's going to lose their salvation. If you can't trust God with your soul, what are you trusting him with? Well, I'll trust him with my bank account. You think money is important to God? I mean, He'll take care of those things, yes. But God wants you to trust Him with your soul. Once He has that, He has everything. Amen? And by the way, what are you going to do for your soul that God hasn't already done? Amen? He has already done it all. Three greatest words in history. One more time before we end. It is finished. He finished it on the cross. We trust in him. That takes care of the fearful and unbelieving. Amen. How can you be an abomination with the blood of Jesus painted on your heart? Amen. Amen. How can you not be an abomination trying to cleanse your own sin and do enough good to please God? Listen, you don't have to tell a lie to be a liar. But if you choose to believe the lie, I think that puts you in the category because when you choose to believe that a lie is true how can you not become a liar yourself when you choose to go against the words of this book called the Bible that puts you in that category it's not just the fact that you tell a lie what did Jesus say about the devil He is the liar and the father of it. You don't have to go out and put a knife or shoot somebody to be a murderer, do you? No, you don't. The Bible said if you hate, you've already committed it. So we look at this list. This is a summary. These are not one-time events. These are the characteristics of these lives. Because you cannot be fearful and unbelieving and believe on Jesus Christ at the same time. You cannot be washed in the blood of the land and be abominable at the same time. You cannot live as a murderer or a whoremonger or an idolater believing in... Trusting in self-satisfaction and your own gods and believe in the God of the Bible at the same time. It's not possible. You cannot embrace the lie and embrace the truth at the same time. Well, I know there's some out there that say, well, my one person, we're good and we love God, but my other personality is my evil twin. Uh, don't give me that schizophrenia stuff. You're just one person with double the problems, or how many ever personalities you decide you need. I mean, some people got a lot of problems. That's just the way it works, and we're not trying to make light of that. But let me tell you something: God is the one that heals you from it. The fearful the unbelieving, the abominable. That's the second judgment. How do you escape the second death? Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. How many of your sins did He pay for on the cross? All of them. That's why you cannot exceed His grace. Don't try. But... You need to serve God first and let Him take care of sin. This is the resurrection. Unto life or unto death. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we come before you this night and we look at a very complex subject here and one that has yet to be fulfilled and so we must be very careful. And yet, Lord, we... Try to understand your word as carefully and as completely as we can. And so, Lord, we just ask that you would use tonight's lesson not to nitpick over finer points of this and that, and but to understand that you are coming back at any time and that our trust and our faith needs to be in the Savior. And that our witness needs to be about the Savior. And that our worship needs to reflect the saving grace of God himself for our souls. We ask that you would work during this time of invitation. In Jesus' name we pray. And we'll just take a moment here. And if you need to slip out and spend a few moments at an altar.